table. Let's pray for that one. Father, we thank you for this morning, um, and uh, we thank you for the opportunity that Steve and Brenda had with this fellow, um, Otis. Lord, we pray that you would bring him here this morning, um, even in by just some urge or desire that he can't understand, um, but Lord, would be part of you drawing him, so we would pray for that. Um, Lord, we thank you for um, the opportunity to think and speak of you. Lord, help us to do so reverently, knowing that you are wholly present um, here uh, as we speak of these things. You, you observe and know how we are speaking of you, how we are talking about you. Um, and Lord, we, we pray that we are doing that in an honor, a way that is honoring to you, um, that is pleasing to you. Um, I pray that we would build our faith. And so we just ask these things and pray them in your name. Amen. All right. So we are still kind of talking about God's abilities. That's kind of the generic term. And we're still looking at that heading of God's sovereignty. And in the generic sense, God's sovereignty means uh, God has lordship and rule over all. Uh, that's, that's what God's sovereignty means. God has lordship and rule over all. But based on that, there's a number of entailments of what that then means. So uh, we could talk about God's um, power. Uh, he has the power to back up his rule. Uh, he has uh, the presence. Uh, we talked about God's presence every, um, last week and what that means and, and different senses of God's presence. But, you know, as God is ruling over all, he is everywhere. He has, um, is, is totally present in, everywhere in his creation with 100% of his being, though he does manifest himself in different ways, in different places. But that also kind of fits under that heading of God's sovereignty, his rule overall. Um, this one maybe is a little, feels maybe in some sense a little less under that heading, but I think it still fits, is uh, God's knowledge, right? God's knowledge. What does God know? And um, this would, in general, we would use the term omni, uh, om, um, oh, thank you, omniscience. Um, I had to run through the omni list um, uh, in my head. So uh, God's omniscience, but what does that really mean, right? Just like we saw with the last couple, you know, terms, God's power, God's presence, uh, we want to be careful about what we're saying and what the scripture affirms with that. So there are several senses and just uh, that we can look at in Scripture to dis to understand well what does God know, uh, what does He 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 know, and we'll start with this one. It might be a little bit um, surprising. God fully knows Himself. God fully knows Himself, and we have a great uh, Scripture to just go to directly for this. First uh, Corinthians two. First Corinthians two. Um, 10 through 11. And so when I have that, 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 11. Go ahead and read that. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything Of that person which is in him, so also no one comprehends the thoughts of God 
So here, and we looked at this passage before discussing uh, intertrinitarian relations, uh, and so you see here the, uh, the Spirit knows the thoughts of the Father. Um, but the, the, Spirit, the Father, the Spirit, and the Son all are going to share uh, what any one of them comprehends and knows. Um, and so you see that here. You, the emphasis is on the Spirit knowing God's thoughts, but the Spirit himself is God. God knows himself, which, when you think about it, is not a um, trivial thing to say because um, God in his character is infinite. Uh, there's no uh, the Psalm 145, I think it's verse 3. Um, you know, his greatness says his greatness is unsearchable, right? Except to himself. Uh, it's unsearchable for creatures. It's uh, beyond full comprehension to his creatures, but not to himself. God fully knows himself, uh, fully knows all of who he is. Um, and, and that's supported. Uh, I mean, we could argue that regardless, but we could see that specifically from 1 Corinthians 2. God knows all of himself. Okay? Any questions or, or thoughts on that? Okay, and since just as one example of uh, of this of God knowing Himself, it means He knows His entire character, um, and even knows things um, like uh, well, let's just go ahead and see it. Go, someone, go ahead and turn to Genesis three. Look at Genesis three. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, when it talks about a spirit, yeah, so that's a good question. When it talks about the spirit of a man, um, it's, it, it is talking about a human spirit, but he's drawing a correlation between, all right, let's look at humanity and how we have an, in, an outer, kind of an outer man and an inner man, right? We have the incorporeal part of us that's united with the corporeal part of us, and the, you know that incorporeal part is known as the spirit, but that would include, include things like our mind. Right, uh, our brain is material, but our mind is immaterial, um, um, and so what Paul is doing is he's saying, "Hey, um, if we want to even just think about humanity, um, how, what com what comprehends our thoughts? Well, our internal part of who we are, our spirit." And then he just says, "Well, that's the same way with God, um, that uh, amongst the persons, the spirit." knows the thoughts of the Father. And, and, and actually, uh, even he then links it to the mind of Christ a little bit later on, right? But all that to say is God comprehends his own thoughts, his own... He comprehends himself. Uh, he knows himself. Even though he is infinite in his character, his greatness is beyond searching out. God knows the, all of who he is um, comprehensively. We do not, and we never will. We will never know God comprehensively. Um, but God knows himself comprehensively. Uh, now, as part of that, um, that includes all of God's character. And um, notice Genesis 3.22. This is after the fall. And God is, uh, God is talking to himself, um, meaning what we would understand later is the persons of the Trinity are talking uh, amongst themselves. So I'm going to go ahead and read Genesis 3.22.
Okay, so what does God know in this passage? Good and evil, right? Which is a just, it's another way of saying, um, not only does God know the distinction between good and evil, but he is really able to, uh, as, uh, there's, there's no such thing as like good and evil outside of who God is, right? So if you think about um, God's character, uh, God, things like righteousness or goodness uh, or any of these things, those things don't like exist outside of who God is. They're actually part of who he is. Um, and so even in God knowing good and evil, this is not just that he comprehends the difference between good and evil, but it's also that sense of he actually determines uh, what is good and evil, um, which is kind of analogous to what Adam and Eve do after the fall. Like they want to decide what's good and evil for themselves, right? That independence. So this sense of knowledge, though, is, yeah, God, God has perfect moral knowledge. We would say it that way. But it's not as if that's outside of who he is. It's actually part of him knowing who he is and is uh, how he himself determines good and evil. Uh, so once he's determined good, evil as the opposite of good uh, obviously follows from that. So when we think about what God knows, God knows himself totally, which also means and entails that God knows mora- morally. He knows morality. He knows the difference between good and evil, but that's because of who he is and how he's determined that himself, internal to himself. Okay? So that's um, um, just one aspect, I would say, as, of what does it mean for God to know himself? Well, God knows the difference between good and evil because God himself is goodness, uh, and then he, he, um, that has implications for the rest of creation. Okay? All right, so God knows himself. What else does God know? God knows all things actual. And other things, the things that are real, the things that happen, the things that exist. God knows all things that are actual. Now, to see this, we could actually go to the first book of the Bible, uh, Job, first book written. Um, go to Job, and we're not going to uh, read a whole ton in Job, but go to Job 38. 3 8. 3 8. Job 3 8. No, I'm just. Um, so let's just read in Job 38. And this section really continues through chapter 42, where God shows up and he talks to Job. Uh, but how he talks uh, illumines our understanding of what God knows, because that's part of how he's arguing back to Job. Uh, so someone read like, um, oh, let's, let's do through verse, let's start through verse 10, or 11, sorry, verse 11. Yeah, I went through them.
And it keeps going on, but notice how God starts. Uh, Who's darkening counsel with words without knowledge? And then God starts to talk about, like, do you know this? Do you understand this? Do you know this? Now, obviously, he's talking about Job, and he's questioning Job, but the implication is, throughout all of this, is God knows all of these things. Uh, and obviously, we only went a little bit into Job 38, but as you march through Job 38 and four, uh, 39 and 40 and 41, um, God is not only displaying his power and his majesty and his ability to create all of these things, but he's also, he also effectively describes his comprehensive knowledge. Like he asked at one point, like, do you know when, um, I think it's the mountain goats give birth, right? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you establish their rule on the earth? And so as you walk through Job 38 through 42, you see God's uh, knowledge, comprehensive knowledge of his creation, right? Uh, at every level, um, uh, you know, the places that are inaccessible in creation to human beings, God knows those things. God knows what's happening there. Um, yes, God is, uh, he's, he's created those things, he sustains those things, but there's also this, this, un- this, this understanding throughout Job that it's like God knows all of these things. He comprehends all of these things uh, everywhere in all creation. So, uh, we don't have time to march all the way through those chapters, but those are always good chapters to come back to, and, and it's a good picture of what does God know? Well, God knows comprehensively all of his creation, everything that he's created, everything that is actual in creation, okay? Um, questions on that? Okay, but then we can even be more specific, go to Psalm 139, which is where we were last week. Um, David is... Uh, speaking. So, um, someone read Psalm 139, verses 1 through 6. Don't forget the heading. Not the bold heading, but the, like, the capital regular font heading. The one that says, like, to the choir master, that heading. That's the inspired heading. So, 139, 1 through 6. Last week we read through verse 12, and really 7 through 12 emphasize God's presence, but here these first few verses actually emphasize God's knowledge. Um, what does God know? What's that? Yeah, but more specifically, what is this, what is this saying he knows? Yeah, he knows me. What would you say, Bruce? Sorry. Yeah, everything that happens in my life. So, you know, we just talked about in Job how God's talked about he knows everything that's happening in creation to, comprehensively. But as part of that creation, uh, he knows to each individual, David in this case, uh, that person's life, uh, including um, thoughts. Right? You discern my thoughts from afar. Um, 
you know, what actually is done. Um, searching out my path and my lying down, you're acquainted with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it altogether. So before a word actually gets spoken, God knows it's going to get spoken. He knows what's going to be spoken. So this is comprehensive knowledge in relation to a person. Now you, you get hints in one, um, Psalm 39, 1 through 6, um, that yeah, this is comprehensive knowledge of a person, but it's not as if like this is knowledge like God discovers it. Um, you can kind of actually start to begin to see that. It's not like God discovers, oh, uh, or guesses and says, oh, he's going to say that. And then he says it, right? God doesn't discover this. Uh, how, what is this knowledge based in? Well, you can actually see later on, a few verses later on into the psalm, what David's reckoning is as far as how God knows. So, yes, he knows everything with regard to David and his life, but how does he know it? Well, we can actually see that in Psalm 139, 15 through 16. So someone go ahead and read that. Uh, verses 15 through 16. Okay, so um, what does what is David reflecting on here? What's he saying? Yeah, and in particular to what? Like, what's he saying? Yeah, so before he existed, before David existed as a being, right? Um, God knew. But how did God know? Um, what does he say? What does he say about God? Yeah, he created him. So God created him. But even before the creation of David, right, in his mother's womb, um, what does he say about David's life? It was written down. Every day was written down. So if you go back to Psalm 139, 1 through 6, right, God is saying, uh, you know, I, um, David's saying, God knows all of these things. He knows before I speak a word. He knows my thoughts. But then effectively what David does later in the psalm is he says, well, how does God know that? It's not the sort of knowledge like discovery, like, oh, see, David did that. I know that. It's the sort of knowledge that comes from predetermination, right? There's, that's different. Right? To say that God wrote every day of David's life when as yet there were none of them. None of them were actual yet, but they would be. And they would be because God wrote them down. And that's why God has comprehensive knowledge of all of David's way. God is present there with David as he, those days unfold. And so he knows before he discerns David's thoughts as they come, um, come about. Um, that he, he knows David's words before they're on his tongue. But it's because they're predetermined, because God had already set them out and written them down, which is different than the sort of knowledge of discovery, right? Like, oh, hey, look, uh, that's, that's unexpected. That's, that's not how God knows. God knows everything um, and everything that's going to happen in creation because of predetermination, um, which is, I think this is a good text to show that. So other questions or thoughts on that? That's very important to keep in mind that we're not thinking of God as like, 
like, oh, it just so happened to be that way. God knows because he's written it down ahead of time. Okay. Um, questions, comments on that? So David's saying, yeah, you have this comprehensive knowledge, and David is pleading for, like, I want that to work its way out, that you're leading me in the way everlasting. So though God knows all the days that written, uh, David doesn't know, and we don't know, So, which is, highlights the importance of prayer, right? To call on God to say, hey, lead me in the way um, everlasting. Good. Um, Speaking of the last couple verses of Psalm 139, it highlights just another aspect of when we say that God knows um, all things with relation to each individual person, um, that encompasses also what that person does, and it, it, uh, it, it encompasses God seeing the good and evil that we do, right? God knows that. If you want to see, I mean, I think we, we all agree on that, but just to see a couple uh, verses to support it. Flip over to Proverbs. Um, we'll see a couple verses in Proverbs 15. Proverbs 15, 3. Okay, and then skip down to verse 11. Go ahead and read to verse 11 as well. Abaddon. Yeah, so Sheol is just this kind of generic word for the grave. Uh, Abaddon is the word for destruction. Um, and here you kind of got a mingling of God's presence and also God's knowledge. But here the emphasis is God knows uh, the hearts of man, which is kind of an amazing thing because um, do human beings know their own heart? No. Like even if you try to reflect on like, yourself with like why did I do that and why did I um like what was going on like there's something going on uh even Proverbs will talk about the the intentions of a of a man are deep water um but even um um uh, you know even to that verse we just read right uh, uh, David's like uh, search my thoughts because only God knows our thoughts comprehensively um and he knows comprehensively at least in Proverbs 15 He's keeping watch on the evil and the good. Um, he is, um, he, the grave and destruction, uh, we could just say hell, lie open before God. Like, he just sees all of it. How much more the hearts of men? Like, he knows comprehensively our own hearts. So, this all fits under the heading of things that are actual, right? God fully knows himself, but he also knows all of his creation that he has created, the things that are real, um, that have happened, that do happen, 
he knows them comprehensively. Okay. Yes, Mike. Yes. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, and that's what David says, right? Like, before word is on my tongue, you know it all together. You know what the word is, but you also know why that word came, right? You know why, where it came from in the heart, right? It's comprehensive knowledge, uh, beyond even the knowledge of ourselves. God knows us better than we know ourselves, uh, uh, comprehensively. Yes, Bruce. Yeah, right, sure. Yep. Uh, let's go ahead on this idea of um, God knowing all things actual. And we've already got glimpses of this, but let's go ahead and just emphasize uh, one other aspect of God's knowledge. Go to Isaiah. Go to Isaiah 46. So in Isaiah, let's say starting in chapter 41, um, and really continuing on for many of the, you know, the chapters in the 40s, late 40s, 48, 49, one of the things that God is doing is he's talking to Israel and he's saying, all right, you guys are going to go into exile, but I'm going to bring you back. But the reason you guys went into exile is because you went after other gods, uh, that you worshiped other gods. Uh, and so he sets up throughout these chapters this kind of this this um, contest between God sets up this contest between himself and all of these false gods. And one of the things he does is he says, "All right, if you false gods actually know uh, the future, um, then tell us. In fact, don't even worry about the future. Just tell us the things that have happened in the past." Uh, and in fact, just tell us what is going on right now, right? And so it's just kind of this taunt that's happening. And so one of the things that God is doing in these chapters in Isaiah is he's showing, hey, look, Israel, and look, all the rest of the nations, let me tell you the future before it happens. Let me show that to you. Uh, and so it's a piece of that we get, um, and this isn't the only place we could go, but just to see a, a, a sample Let's look at Isaiah 46, and let's look at verses 8 um, through 10. So what is emphasized here is that God knows, and so he's declaring it. But like what we saw in Psalm 139, this isn't like the sort of knowledge that's like, oh yeah, that just so happens to happen. No, this is predetermination of events, saying, that's what I'm going to do. And so I'm going to tell you, I know all about that, and that's what I'm going to do. And God is doing it in such a way that he's saying, this distinguishes me from every other so-called God. Because I can actually tell you, here's what I'm going to do, and here's what it's going to look like, and uh, I'm going to do it. And then he does. And it, as it unfolds in history. 
right? So you can think of Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 12, the suffering servant. And God calls his shots, uh, you know, about 700 years before it happens. Um, but one of the things that that does is that shows, yeah, I knew about that because I predetermined it. I declare the end from the beginning. So God knows the future, not because he just like so happens to know about it, but because he predetermines it. Uh, it's decreed, uh, which goes back to exactly what we said in one, Psalm 139. Okay, questions on that? Yes, Ned. Yes. Yeah. Well, this pleasure is more like the pleasure of the king, right? In the sense of it's the king's pleasure to do such and such, which would also encompass even, uh, uh, well, God says it. And turn back a couple pages to um, Isaiah 45. Um, Yeah, so God is speaking. Um, I'll start in Psalm, uh, Isaiah 45, uh, verse 5. I am Yahweh, there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. So he's still got this contest with false gods. Um, I equip you, talking to Cyrus, the Persian. So that's who he's talking to. You can see that in um, 45.1. I equip you, though you do not know me. In other words, Cyrus has no knowledge of the true God, but uh, God's going to work through him. That people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am Yahweh, there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am Yahweh who does all of these things. So God, in God's decree, he does decree that evil and calamity and darkness be. Not because God delights in those things inherently, right? But they are part of his predetermined plan. So the king's pleasure, to kind of use that language again, the king's pleasure is that there be, that evil exists in this universe, and why? Ultimately, we know that the display of evil and God's triumph over evil and his, um, his judgment of evil, because he doesn't, he intrinsically hates evil, uh, displays his glory in a way that happens uh, that if evil and calamity weren't and didn't come to pass, there would be an aspect of God's character that wouldn't be displayed. Um, and so even that, that aspect of when we talk about God's pleasure, it's, it's his decree over everything. Uh, it's his doing of everything such that everything, uh, even in some mystery that, that evil and hardship and suffering be, God even takes those things to ultimately glorify himself. Yes, Mike. Oh, of course. Yeah, it's totally comprehensive, not in the sense of like he's kind of looking ahead and it's like, oh, isn't that interesting? That's how history is going to play out. That's not what Isaiah is saying. Isaiah is saying, uh, the reason God knows everything that's going to happen is because he's predetermined everything. Well, yeah, yeah, and, and that's what we we're just saying, right? He predetermines everything that happens, including in some mystery, evil and hardship and suffering. He says it right here, right? 
But not because he intrinsically delights in those things, but because the existence of those things and then God's display of things like judging and overcoming evil and darkness and rescuing people from their own sin and iniquity and judging the devil and things like this, they display aspects of God's character that wouldn't otherwise be seen. Right? Because uh, Romans 11.36, from him and through him and to him are all things. To God be glory forever. The purpose of the universe is that God be glorified. Uh, The purpose of the universe is not to rescue people. The purpose of the universe is not to make me happy um, or to to have God conform to my thoughts. The purpose of the universe is that everything happens to redound back to God's glory, Um, which intersects with all of what we're saying with God's power and his knowledge, Uh, which then makes things, you know, to use C.S. Lewis's kind of thing, uh, God's not tame. He doesn't fit into the boundaries that we'd like to put him in. God is who he is um, and, and what he knows and how he's decreed it to happen and the display of his power. And all we can do is either we can rebel against it and then experience his wrath or we can bow in humble adoration of there is no God like this. Um, there's no there's not one and nothing and nothing that human beings can come up with that holds a candle to God, which is his point in Isaiah. So, all right, I was preaching, so there you go. Um, any other questions on that, though? This is, this is important stuff. Now, let's keep going, because I want to show uh, another aspect of God's knowledge. So, God knows himself. God knows all things actual, even the things that aren't yet actual, but will be actual. But God not only knows that, he knows all things possible. Things that are possible, but that won't actually happen. Uh, There's a really interesting case of this in 1 Samuel. um, 1 Samuel 23 eventually. There we go. First um, Samuel 23. So this is the where David, David's been anointed king, but he's running away from Saul. He's still running away from Saul, back and forth, back and forth. Um, God's preserving him. But what's interesting is in the midst of this, uh, 
we get this. So 1 Samuel 23, verse 11. Um, uh, let, me, let me actually start back up in verse 6. When Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, had fled to David to Keilah, he had come down with an ephod in his hand. Now it was told Saul that David had come to Keilah, and Saul said, God has given him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town um, and it, that has gates and bars. And Saul summoned all the people to war, to go down to Keilah, to besiege David and his men. David knew that Saul was plotting harm against him, and he said to Abiathar the priest, bring the ephod here. Uh, then David said, O Yahweh, the God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Keilah surrender me into his hands? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Yahweh, the God of Israel, please tell your servant. And Yahweh said, he'll come down. He'll, he will come down. Then David said, will the men of Keilah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And Yahweh said, they will surrender you. Now keep in mind, this is a city that David had just like rescued. Um, so thanks, guys. Appreciate that. Um, then David and his, and his men, who were about 600, arose and departed from Keilah. And they went wherever they could go. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he gave up the expedition. And David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. So this is interesting, right? Because God, um, David's talking to, uh, David asked God, hey, if I stay here, is Saul going to come down? Yes. And if I stay here, are the, key, the people of the city going to give me up? Yes, they will. So he leaves. And then Saul doesn't come, and so the Keilites don't give them up. So it didn't actually happen. But God knew that if it did happen, uh, th this would be the result. So God knows things that are possible, that actually don't happen. Um, uh, the, you can see this again, actually, in Matthew 11. You don't have to turn there, but Matthew 11, 21 through 23, Jesus is talking about... Well, if uh, Tyre and Sidon or Sodom and Gomorrah were here and they saw the works that I was doing, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. Um, now, Tyre and Sidon and Sodom and Gomorrah don't actually there. Those generations that he's speaking of weren't actually there. But he's saying if they were there, they would have repented. And it's the same thing. God knows the things that are possible but don't actually happen. Um, so not only does God know himself, not only does God know all things that actually happen that are real, he also knows those things that would happen or the possibilities of what ha would happen that don't actually happen. Uh, so God's knowledge is comprehensive in that sense um, as well. Okay? Um, so when we say, you know, we can just easily say, oh, God's omniscient, but what does that actually mean? It actually means quite a bit. And his, what that actually entails as far as what he knows. Yeah, Mike. Yeah, none. No surprises. Um, there is not a fact that he comes to know. Right? Nor does he forget anything. So even though sometimes we see phrases like, uh, you know, like in Jeremiah 31, 34, I will remember your sins no more. That's not as if God just had his divine amnesia. Uh, it means he, he's not going to count those sins against you. Right? They're going to be as if he didn't know about them. But he knows them. He doesn't forget them. But he's not counting them against you. 
God knows, every, um, God knows all that is knowable comprehensively. Uh, let's, and just kind of to see uh, a couple summary praises or uh, meditations on God's knowledge. Let's go to Isaiah 40. Okay, um, Isaiah 40, 13, and 14. Isaiah 40, 13, and 14. Someone go ahead and... And the answer is, no one, right? No one's taught God. No one's counseled God. Um, his, his under, it's, um, he, he knows all. He has a way of understanding. He has all knowledge. He knows um, everything. And he knows how to apply that knowledge, too, would be another way of saying it. You can see this in Romans 11. I already cited Romans 11, but um, part of the doxology that um, Paul has at the end of kind of laying out the gospel. Romans 11.33, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. That's God's knowledge. Now, how does this help us? In other words, how do we how do we how does this change our Christian lives so that we live well in light of this? It shows that it's confident he's sovereign, all will go well no matter how big the situation was. Yeah. And that and that means too, like uh, none of that has claimed that we will we will not enter suffering or difficulty or great pain or hardship. But knowing this in the midst of that, not in a trite way, but in a, a, a deep way, uh, like Psalm 139 kind of way, um, God knows, and as a good father, he has put me even in very difficult uh, and painful circumstances, but ultimately through that, he's going to display his glory, which is my greatest good. Um, so we don't say that tritely, like don't go up to someone like who's just suffered a great blow, and say, well, you know, God works all things together for good. Don't do that, right? Um, but, but there is a time and a place uh, in suffering, you know, to, to, for people to meditate on, yeah, God's, God's sovereign. God's sovereignty, but his knowledge, his knowledge of the situation, his intimate knowledge of the situation. Yeah, Bruce. Yeah. Right. He he wrote this day too. He wrote this day too, and it helps. It doesn't take away the pain, 
but it does help, right? And it helps to know, all right, the Lord is with me in this. He knows. Not in a sort of abstract, kind of cold, distant sort of way, but in, a, in an intimate way and in a uh, comprehensive way, that, in ways that I can't fathom, like all that's the dynamics that are happening. So, yeah, um, Julie. Yeah, right. But he, he actually will take you to a place where you can say, I'm me and I learn it. And I learned that God is not taken by surprise by it. Mm-hmm. You learn to trust him more and you really do. Yeah. Yep. Good. Well, let's go ahead and pray and transition. Um, Father, we thank you for this morning. Uh, we thank you for your goodness, abundant goodness. We thank you that you, you know yourself. We thank you that you know all things actual, all things that are real, all things that come to pass. And all things that are possible, um, that, that could have happened and didn't. Um, and Lord, we, we thank you for those things. We thank you for not only your, your knowledge, but your wisdom uh, and how you apply that knowledge to uh, work everything towards the best possible end for your glory. Uh, and that is also our greatest good, and we thank you for that. Lord, prepare our hearts for worship. Prepare our hearts to... Uh, respond back to you uh, in your excellencies, in your greatness, um, and uh, uh, pray that you would uh, prepare our brothers and sisters who are coming to join us shortly to gather, uh, prepare us to sing your praises. We pray, um, even as we go back to Matthew and see how you knew everything that was going on, uh, it was planned, it was predetermined, it, it was happening, Lord, help us to marvel at that and to see, not in a flippant way, but in a truly deep way, the work of Christ. And so we, we just pray these things. Thank you for this time this morning in your name. Amen.